Is this thing on? Testing. One, two. One, two, 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 two. Oh, hang on. Here's. Wonder if we can catch this audio. Yeah. First introdu- interruption is a plane coming over. This is an historic day on Chat Ten Looks Three because we, you might even be able to tell already, are coming to you with proper audio gear. That's right. It looks like. Look, how can I describe what's currently spread out on my kitchen table? It looks like a medieval contraceptive device. <laughs> And Lee Sales, who has rather effortlessly glided into the uh, position of um, uh, production engineer, uh, has just been like basically using some very bad language and like <laughs> ramming things into plugs and saying, what the fuck isn't this working? Uh, while I sit back and have a cup of tea and enjoy myself. You should have seen me on Sunday when I got this stuff out of the packaging and had to work out how to use it. It was just, I swear, I've... Sorry Swear to the neighbours for the swearing that was going on. It was just absolutely diabolical. Anyway, chances now, are you'll never hear this anyway. So uh, yeah, well, exactly. when we find out, I mean, it does. Know, it does strike plot, me. Should I the wrong sprocket into the wrong? Yeah, well, I was going to say it does strike me. Should I be stopping this to look at? And then we just listen. Well, that's to what you. a professional would do. I say we plough on. I say we plough on too yeah. because the, the timer seems to be oh, clicking yeah. over to something's show that something's being recorded, and those little God. bars are jumping up Seriously, and down. Seriously, so. the AFP will be here in a minute. It's quite. Um, it's quite bomby, isn't it? The it, whole thing. It, it seems really strange, actually. Yeah. You wouldn't want to take this on a plane, would you? Look at the look at the I collection. Know. It comes in this little sort of what looks like bulletproof box, and yep. it's just full of cables and wires and yep. stuff like that. Yes. Now, can I give a shout out to Rachel Corbett? Yes, you can. You Rachel sure can. Corbett does a podcast called "You've Got to Start Somewhere," and she <laughs> came to interview me for her podcast, um, and it's basically about people in media and arts sort of industries and how they've got, had their break. She's very professional because she's worked professionally in radio. She had all of this gear. I said, Rachel, can you give me some tips? She was like, I would love to give you some tips because I have had it up to here with the audio on your podcast. Join the 98% of our <laughs> listenership that just have got the screaming shits. So she was – I cannot even tell you how helpful she was. Well, you know because I forwarded you the email. It was so detailed and it was basically Mate, I like – I not read the email because you're the engineer. I'm like, that's going straight in the bin. I just do not want to be the sound engineer for this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, dude. You're there. Um, I'm not helping you out. Rachel uh, basically just sent me, here is a shopping list. Go. She even named the shop. Go to this shop. (laughs) Ask the guy for this stuff. Ask for Ralph. (laughs) Ask for Ralph. (laughs) He'll be the guy with his pants hanging down and butt crack hanging out the top. Oh, my God. Probably plays the tuba. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And anyway, so she was just so extraordinarily helpful so thanks very much Rachel you rock <laughs> is this the time for you is this the time for you to take public your private rant about um sound equipment at <laughs> events like <laughs> I'm also just sorry look I just want to say to the listeners that there might be a little bit of dodgy audio today because the first thing I'm not sure about with the gear is I was trying to ride which crab- way is up and which way is down yeah. on the volume I'm trying to ride crab's audio level but yeah can you talk for a minute yeah I can I can talk about anything you want okay so um yep. oh. We do have this kind of thing going at the moment, which is a terrible bitch session about, you know, if you go to be on a panel at something or to speak at something, it's always the sound gear is always basically designed for a guy in a suit, right? Yeah. And I now am at the point, and I feel sorry for any sound guy who comes up to me because I'm pretty much instantly, as soon as they come towards me, I'm like defensive because I know what they're going to do is go, have you got somewhere you can clip this thing onto like a lapel? And then can you clip this battery pack onto your waistband? Your pants. Your pants. The whole system is designed for men because it assumes that you're going to be wearing 
some sort of pants with a heavy belt that can yeah. carry the weight of a battery pack and that you're going to have a suit jacket with a lapel that you can clip something on and it's going to be quite baggy so underneath it all you can hide all of the you know um cables and the blah 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 and so i just every single time it happens i just feel like oh that's right i'm getting a reminder here that panels and going on stage is meant for men okay so any of you entrepreneurs out there design a lady pack I was speaking at a women's conference the other day and the guy came up and did the whole like, oh, where do we, where's your suit (laughs) sort of thing. I'm like, hey, dude. I know. Wearing a dress. I feel bad because I've infected you with it too. I know. Now I've become an evil bitch at this (laughs) event. Previously it was just you. I'd be like, turn up, they'd be like, thank God you haven't brought that slag Lee Sales with you. She's mean. And I was just like, this guy's saying, oh, well, we do have a headset type one somewhere, but like we don't really, you've got to. You've got to request that one specially. I'm like, did you not think that this women's conference attended by 100% women might be a good place for you to break out that special by request? <laughs> it's okay for ladies' equipment. No, Jesus. Anyway, then he was a lovely guy left with his, like, yeah. And as soon as mood the, shattered, I suspect. As soon as the poor bugger um, says to me, oh, have you got somebody you can clip this on? I go, no, because I'm wearing a dress. <laughs> And so it's always just like, oh, God. I once had to clip one of those heavy sound packs to my underpants, to my underpants in front of Bob Carr because I was at, <laughs> <laughs> I had agreed to go and speak at this thing called, and it was seriously called like the Happiness Summit. I don't, what, why did I agree to that? And it was like seriously six days after my baby was born. Oh, so I turned up. I bet just, you were happy once I was the sound so happy, was fossicking around so in your So happy. Pants. And I was really late because I had, you know, parked my newborn outside, you know, with a, an adult. But like, and I didn't have the right outfit on and I was super late. And they were like, quick, 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 quick. This has to go on somewhere. So I just hoiked up my dress and clipped this <laughs> thing to my underpants. And I just don't think – I think Bob Carr was never the same after that. Like, I don't know who was more horrified, me or him. Oh, look, I mean, the whole thing sounds pretty disturbing, yeah. frankly. Um, right. I, the worst one I've had was one where uh, it was election night, uh, 2007 maybe. Right. My, maybe so you were wearing an adult nappy? <laughs> wearing an adult As nappy. No, it might have been the one before that. might have been 2000 – no, I was overseas. Anyway, whenever it was um, – Whoever was doing the sound, it was for the ABC broadcast. It was that one where I was getting digitally penetrated by oh, bar yeah. graphs. I love that one. Um, they wanted me to wear four battery packs because they wanted backups in case <laughs> batteries went. So they wanted a backup for my microphone, but also for my ear. It was a hardwired earpiece yeah, as well. Yeah. So they wanted four. I said to the guy, do you want me to be able to walk? And like, I've got bar they... chaps going up my jacksy <laughs> and you want me and my pants to fall down as well. This will be a visual treat for the viewers. <laughs> on YouTube like, it's the best vision ever we did dig it out somewhere yeah it was we? it went on the end when of one I of the episodes of when oh, I get a minute so um, good I know public now you have been um doing been. some stuff that I really 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 want to know about yeah. you're reading this book about Hillary Clinton I Shattered. am What's I've it like? been sort of like I've actually there's a couple of books that I'm really keen to get to and I've just sort of started because I was on a plane reading the Hillary Clinton book Shattered, which is the account of um, her campaign by um, two journalists, Jonathan Allen and um, Amy Parts, Parns? Um, can't remember her last name, sorry. Sorry, Amy. Um, you're awesome. Um, now, this is a classic case where they were sort of attached and embedded to the Hillary campaign, expecting that it would all end in the White House and got wound up with this, oh, my God, road to nowhere kind of story. Um, I'm only um, a couple of chapters into it and I just – I love these kinds of books. I just, you know. Is it one of those really good rollicking 
driving narrative, you know, even though you know the outcome, you still get hooked in. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, I don't know, I just always am interested in seeing how those big organisations work and like the theme that's emerging straight away is this huge um, tension between the personal friends of, of Hillary Clinton. Like she had two types of people around her, the loyalty friends who weren't necessarily great at their jobs all the time but were absolutely historically ceaselessly loyal who she wouldn't dump no matter what right witness you know our Puma. friend with a terrible husband yeah um and uh, and then this other band of people who were brought in because they were good at their jobs who didn't have the same level of trust so uh. it's it's you know even early on it's it's just a debacle already so anyway fascinating book um but um, I do – you will love it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, it's um, it's high on my list of stuff. I, I actually just finished a book last night and so I'm in the in – the, you know how when you get to that, like, oh, what around. should I do next? Yeah. yeah, I just finished a book called Constitutional by Helen Simpson, which was the second last of my – bibliotherapy reading list <laughs> books um it's a cl- I'm sorry for laughing at you I, it's a cry for help and i'm just <laughs> laughing say, why are you laughing at I'm me opening seeking, the popcorn. seeking literary assistance with my troubles um it's a collection of short stories by a woman called helen simpson right. and they're not just a variety of i guess it's sort of what i would call observational life type stories right. you know um and it was really well written interesting thought-provoking so I enjoyed it but I'm sort of weighing next I feel like I've got many different directions I could go in um there's I really want to read Sebastian Smee's book that you oh, recommended yes. yep, to me yep um which oh, is about comes the friendship interruption. here comes the interruption it's my seven-year-old son who is um really crook How I wonder if love? he can do a cough for us so I'm not the only he's wearing a uh, zip through onesie sleep suit with dude written on the front you okay <laughs> you all right Oh, he's so sick. He doesn't even speak to interrupt us. Mm. Um, uh, Yeah, what's Sebastian Smee's book called again? It's called um, The Art of Rivalry. Oh, that's right. So it's about, you know, Jackson Pollock v... I forget who he's rivalling with. Who who is Um, it? Um, Not Pal Clay. Far out. I'll remember... You know, yeah. not Andy Warhol, but anyway, somebody. It's Picasso and Matisse yep. and blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, it sounds fantastic. Um, it is good. Now I'm just reminding myself. God, I've got a two-second memory. What's wrong with me? The um, I want to know as well, the top podcast at the moment on the... Oh, before you start on the podcast, yeah. I, sorry, interruption number one, <laughs> two. Um, I'm actually, weirdly enough, reading a book that is by Sebastian Smith's sister, just for a family <laughs> wow. achievement moment. What is so it? she's a translator. She's um, translated this book. Her name's Stephanie Smee. They just go in for the, you know, fricative um, <laughs> alliterative <laughs> names in that family. What? Um, you all right? Do you need a little drink? Thanks, Mother. Oh. Um, he looks crook. He, he's just coughing like a fur seal I might actually get him to come in and do the coughing for the podcast that'd be good because yeah. I like to be not the only you like person to who outsource those it. things yeah, look at me trying to shut the door I know you're so <laughs> you really your lunge depth with that microphone cord is not long is it um anyway so this it's such a really it's a really interesting book so the book's called um no place to lay one's head and it was written after world war ii by this woman called Françoise frankel right another alliterative name what's going on <laughs> they're everywhere yeah i know right um anyway uh and she was a um a, a polish jew who was obsessed with french 
writing and French everything. And so she made the courageous decision in the 30s to move to Berlin and set up a French bookshop, you know. Imagine what could have gone wrong. Anyway, of course, she gets shut down by the Nazis and she, she goes to live in France. So she's sort of in Vichy France being... Um, mildly persecuted uh, and then increasingly persecuted and it, it's kind of her diary and the weird thing is that it was kind of published after the war and then it fell out of print and was totally um forgotten about and then some publisher found it in a, just a secondhand bookshop and read it and thought this is amazing it should be republished and so it was republished a little while back in france and became this sensation um and this woman stephanie smee has translated it she's Sydney-based Aussie lady. God, those sneeze. I know, right? <laughs> anyway, and it's it's so interesting, and it's I mean, it's it's a it's a very evocative first-hand experience of what it was like to be in that sort of weird nether zone where um, you were kind of welcome in France, but not super welcome, you know. Right. Um, and how this sort of displaced community was was travelling around France trying to evade um apprehension um anyway but i just i love this the idea that this story was always the same like from when it was lived to when it was written to when it was published but it was the intervention of a completely random outside source you know that someone would pick it up in a bookshop and read it and and have the ability to refresh it and have it republished it's just there's something so magical about that, I reckon. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. What, what's it called again? It's called No Place to Lay One's Head. It's only just been published. It's quite new um, okay. by Stephanie Smee. Oh, excellent. You've got to find another that. Smee sibling. I think, Are there you know, any other Smee siblings? Septimus. Uh, <laughs> Sally. <and> Sally. <laughs> Sassafras. <laughs> the uh, the no account younger sister. <laughs> <laughs> and the black sheep of the family, John. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. and now the other thing that you, I know you've been doing, and I really want to know about, is the top podcast on the um, iTunes list at the moment is Trace. Oh yeah, okay, okay. What so, I know nothing about it, so okay. Let me tell you how I got onto it. Right, I was listening to Radio National um, Breakfast. Sorry, RN Breakfast. I can't. I'm still not used to calling it RN. And just before the news, Fran Kelly said, "Oh, news is coming up," um, and yeah. Um, uh, there might be a bit of a spoiler alert. Like, I'm just issuing a spoiler alert because if you're listening to the podcast Trace, there's a news story that, you know, gives away something if you're only... <laughs> how cool. But how weird. Like, I just was so entranced by um, the notion of issuing a spoiler alert before the news. Like, there <laughs> might be some stuff in here that might be news to you. So just, you know, careful. Um, it was de Kooning and Pollock. Oh, Sorry. yeah, okay. De Kooning and Pollock. Excellent, yeah, good. No, Phew, thank yeah, God. Kicking yep. in. Sorry. <clears throat> okay. So back to the narrative. Trace. Um, <laughs> so I just, I was so entranced by the idea that there would be this crowd of people, so many people listening to this podcast that the actual news had to be sort of warned against that I, of course, went and downloaded Trace immediately and now I'm hooked like a mullet on a line. And, and what is it? What's the premise? Okay, so it's about um, a murder that's several decades old of a woman called Maria Grace and she was um, killed in Melbourne and um, she was the mother of two young boys. She was separated from her husband but was on good terms with her husband. And one morning um, she said to her son, um, so her younger son has cystic fibrosis, um, uh, I think. Um, 
like quite a serious disability anyway, um, and she said to the older boy who was 13, look, if anything happens to me, you've got to make sure that you look after Adam. And he said, oh, yeah, sure, popped off to school. And then that day um, in the afternoon she was found dead in her home um, of stab wounds. Their house was sort of attached to this bookshop that she ran. And it turns out that she'd rung her ex-husband and um, was on the phone to him and she said, oh, hang on a second, I've got someone here. And he could hear this argument and was Ew. like, shit, what's going on? Raced around there and there was he couldn't get into the house and went around the back and then came around and the front door was open. Yeah. And it turns out that he'd basically disturbed this murderer and the murderer got away and has mm. never been um, apprehended. So it's one of these cold case things. But there's so many – I mean, I'm only two episodes in – um, it's by Rachel Brown, um, who spent a time in the UK as correspondent there. Yep. She's done lots of things around the ABC. And it's it's a lot of work has gone into it. It's beautifully produced um, in that sort of serial style. Right. Um, and she's got this um, veteran detective who's um, – and, and the Maria Grace case was his first ever – homicide case and he went on to solve like 300 homicide cases but never has solved this one so it's like the one that got away um but it's it's an extraordinary um story and it's totally gripping so how many episodes is it it well um i don't know how many there'll be there's one going up a week and um and there's two up at the moment oh okay right to all of i've listened to both of them so i'm really ready for another one literally just started yeah yeah um oh that sounds good also i'm also very excited to report that there is a second season of malcolm gladwell's revisionist histories you are a fan of that so good (laughs) and the first one is this kind of absolutely mad smackdown of golf. Malcolm Gladwell has just gone for golf in a big way. Wow. So here's the thing that he's done, which is like it's set in LA and he's made the point that in LA there's no public parks, right? There's nowhere public where you can go running, even though everybody in LA goes Mm. for a run, there's nowhere to run. And there's this little dodgy goat track around the um, barbed wire fence surrounding the Brentwood Country Club, which is like takes up hectares and hectares of beautiful land right in the middle of this like incredibly high-priced city right and it's a private club like you can you have to pay oodles of money if you're invited to join this is one of those clubs that didn't even admit jews until you know the Mm. 70s or something um and he's like well why is it that in a city where space is at such a premium there's this huge dollop of space being used by this tiny amount of rich people and he goes back into the tax land tax history of LA and works out that in 1978 they actually legislated after a popular campaign by Bob Hope, man of the people and keen <laughs> golfer, to radically reduce the land tax paid by private country clubs. Oh. So they paid like to this absolute farthing of tax compared to what the liabilities w- should be. Like they pay $200,000 a year when actually the proper liability for that amount of land should be about like two uh, like 95 billion dollars or something god million i should say um anyway so um but the really interesting thing that he does is he's in contact with some phd student who does some research into the extent to which top executives play golf like how much golf do they play and turns out like the pga masters website if you're a kind of nerdy golf person you can enter all of your results from playing golf into the and, and, and get a PGA handicap. Oh. And so this enterprising individual 
went through that register with the names of the CEOs of the top 500 companies in, um, in the U- USA and worked out how many of them were frittering away how much time on golf. <laughs> and some of them were like playing like 200 times a year or something. <laughs> and that's and just the President of the United States. So Gladwell, yeah, exactly. So Gladwell's, um, Gladwell's thesis is, you know, that golf is this dangerous addiction. It's like, it's like doing drugs. It's kind of completely deleterious to your ability to run a country company. Anyway, it's a, it's a great podcast. What do you reckon is the female equivalent? The reason I ask is because I was sat next to, I won't name who it was, but a powerful um, government official at a lunch yesterday and he mentioned that he plays golf every weekend and he named a couple of people mm-hmm. that he plays golf with what do you reckon is the female equivalent of and I, and I was thinking you know how beneficial for them to have that network yeah. what do you reckon is the female equivalent of playing golf work no I'm, I'm not even joking all the research about um, women who are kind of doing juggle between work and family is that the first thing that those chicks give up is um, recreational pursuits, like things that they do on their own. Right. And it's exercise is really right up there. It's the first thing that goes um, or things that you do for pleasure. So, um, yeah, I think um, mainly women in those positions just do more work. Mm. They don't, yeah. I mean, golf is a very time-hungry pursuit, right? Completely. And, and also the um, idea that you would be working, say, you know, 80 hours a week as a CEO and then on the weekend say to your partner, oh, I'm just heading off to play oh golf God, for five yeah. hours. I would just punch my partner in the <laughs> face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, it's pretty rough. Um, what about that fantastic um, footage the other day of Donald Trump driving on the, on the putting green? I on didn't the golf see course? that. Oh, my God. It was so – now, see – because of that recent iTunes snafu, um, and thank you, by the way, Brenda, for sorting that oh. out. Oh, Brenda has done the most amazing job of sorting out oh. that thing that you were, a lot of you were noticing about the fact that you would like to go to download one of our podcasts and there'd be like some, you know, choral singing Canadian or museum sort of history marching thing. Band but there was also another podcast that she found in her incredibly um, industrious travels. Um, there was another podcast that was experiencing the same problem and it was a golfing podcast. <laughs> so, like, any any listeners that we've picked up accidentally from the golfing community would be really, well, they would have switched off because of that Malcolm Gladwell tap, tap out. They've, they've, they've ditched us now. But there was this awesome piece of um, vision the other day of Trump, of course, playing a load of golf as he does um, after, after slamming Obama for playing too much golf. The guy's constantly on the golf course. But anyway... Um, at least when he's on the golf course, he can't be, you know... Pushing the nuclear codes. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> commenting on TV presenters' facelifts or whatever. But um, anyway, he just drove straight across the putting green, which apparently in... It's like, you know, spitting in someone's food. Like, it's 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 up there in the top sort of two <laughs> golfing <laughs> solecisms that you just should not commit. Ugh. And so, like, this footage went up and... There was just this immediate golf-related <laughs> uproar. There was some guy who was like, right, that's it. This guy, this guy needs to be brought to trial. <laughs> it was just... that was, what a surprise that Donald Trump would be someone who would just violate the norms of polite yeah. golf I think it's his golf course, so I guess you could argue that. <laughs> he can do whatever yeah. he likes. But it was just like, I'm so non-versed in the ways of golf that I'm like, all right, is that a problem? But like, but people were just like vomiting in horror and shock. Well, I once I was in a pub and walked past a 
um, like billiards table and just reached out and pushed a ball. I don't know why because I was just on the way to the bathroom and I just saw there was balls all over the table and I just pushed one towards a thing. And a guy just came instantly up and just went, what do you think you're doing? I was like, oh, I don't know, I just... Touched a ball. He was like, you can't in the middle of someone's game. Oh, they, they, they were playing. Oh, sales. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, sorry. I just did, I don't know what billiards etiquette is. I didn't realise anyone was sort of in the middle of a game or whatever. Anyway, they were pretty irritated at me. So <laughs> <laughs> I just slunk into the toilet and stayed there for the rest of the night. Um, now, podcasts, I haven't really been listening to many, but I have been participating in a few. Oh, God. Do you remember Make how yourselves I was... a cup of tea, people. This you... is about to get musical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Remember I was so keen to get on every musical ever? We recorded it last Thursday night. Look at you. Your it's eyes are shining. everything I hoped it would be. <laughs> was it? It was just really fun. Yeah, it was great. Were um, you as cool as you hoped you would be? Uh, as musical as... Hashtag, because you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was fun. Uh, and I found it really interesting. We are just talking about, you know, trivia to do with... I picked a chorus line. Yeah. Um, and it was just trivia uh-huh. to do with that and, and right. um, comparing the film to the movie version and blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, it was... Um, I found it wildly entertaining. So that's going to be posted soon. Well, you met at the door by this big guy who goes, Hi, my name's Corey. I play the tuba. <laughs> no. His name was Richard <laughs> and he was very nice. Although, hilariously, my three-year-old sort of stuck his head about out of his bedroom to say hello as he does. And he goes... Mum, and I've never met Richard Carroll yeah. before. He goes, I said, okay, it's time to go back to bed. And you've said hello. And he goes, Mum, and he points and he goes, will he be here when I wake up in the morning? And it was just so mortifying. <laughs> it was like, oh, this looks like, I'm thinking Richard Carroll thinks yeah, this is a regular thing. Guys, yeah, it's just a parade of guys coming in and some may or may not stay over. Oh, God, I was just like, no, he will not be here when you wake up in the morning. Anyway, that was quite Richard's mortifying. Richard's going, damn it. <laughs> Um, I also, just as an absolute aside to that, um, am going to New York at the end of the year and I've already booked my ticket to Hello Dolly in which (sighs) Bette Midler is starring in the title role. What do you expect me to do with that? We'll just—that is very exciting. I expect you to do some sort of podcast with me, with me live from New York. All right. I think as long awesome. as you take this contraption with oh, you. Oh God! No, no way! You'd be stopped at the border. They'd <laughs> well, be like, there'll be no podcast if no, I'm working it No one's going to let you on a plane with you. Right, actually, yeah. collection of wires. Particularly, and... don't fly via the Middle East. <laughs> That's right. That's so not cool with America. No doubt, you'd be pulled up in LA, and they'd be like, "What's all this?" And you've got nail polish remover. It's clearly yeah. some yeah. sort of a bomb you're about to build. Um, the other podcast that I uh, appeared on is called Team Effort, which is rollicking good fun. Which is um, there used to be a radio show years ago called Get This, which I, I think is one of the best radio shows ever made. It was on, I think, Triple M. Tony Martin, Ed Cavalier, and a guy called Richard Marsland. Um, and it was just, they are just smart and funny guys. Anyway, um, Ed Cavalier, Tony Martin, Nash Williams, Lawrence Mooney do this podcast together, which is just gigantically inappropriate. And I spent at least three quarters of it silent and um, pretending I wasn't there because they were being so inappropriate. And Tony Martin kept apologising and going, oh, God, I promised Lee if she came in this podcast that we would be appropriate. And now we've been really inappropriate. Anyway, it was very funny. Um, and I had a, a blast doing that. So if you're a fan of those guys, um, I would recommend having a little looky at that. Good thinking. Now, I've been to see some films yes. as well. God, God, you've been doing a lot of stuff. How have you been doing right? this stuff in? I don't know. It's actually a while since we've done a pod, I reckon. Like, it's a couple of weeks. But there was a Sydney Film Festival, so I had oh, yeah. this little outburst of going to see films. Uh-huh. I went to see um, – I went to the 
the gala launch of the festival. <laughs> What's the gala launch? Like the gala launch. Oh, more, yeah, I see daggy. what you did there. No, it was, it was, uh, so it was Warwick Thornton's new film, We right. Don't Need a Map, which is all about the history of the um, Southern Cross oh. as a symbol. Oh. It's a really fascinating premise for a film, right? And it kind of... It kind of springs off something that he said that was very controversial after um, Samson and Delilah came out and he was, of course, copiously awarded for that film. And he said somebody asked him to say something provocative or something and Warwick Thornton's not a shy guy when it comes to being provocative and he said something like, okay, what about this? That the Southern Cross is becoming a racist symbol, right? Cue the entire, you know, oh my God, that's an outrage, blah, 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 yeah. And so he, it was so out of control that he decided, right, I'm going to make a film about this. And so he makes a film about the, about the symbolic meaning of the stars and stripes. So he sort of starts at the Eureka Stockade, but not in a boring way. Like it's quite a – what's the, the style of the film is kind of like really punky. Like oh. he interviews lots of musicians and he's kind of like so shambolic and, you know, half of the stuff is animated with like little wooden toys trudging through the desert that he's doing in front of the camera. Like it's quite – it's quite gonzo um, and it's very like the music is great and it's so fabulously shot. Um, so it's quite crackers, you know. But the, but the thesis behind it's really interesting. So he, he reckons that the Southern Cross was this, sort of this nationalist symbol but then it kind of changed around the Cronulla riots. He interviews all these people that had um, Southern Cross tattoos and then ha- and were having them removed <laughs> because mm. of the way the symbol had changed. But oh. the, easily the most interesting part of the film is actually um, the interviews that he does. Like he travels all around Australia and has these quite intense discussions with Indigenous elders about like what that constellation means in their in their particular corner of oh, Indigenous yeah. culture. And there's kind of like a broad – there's definitely a broad um, shape to it, like that the um, the top star is like the, the father or the king of the sky and the bottom one is like the mother earth. Oh, and yeah. anyway, but the, but the different – like the variations in different areas are really interesting. And you sort of get the sense too that particularly like the um, guys that he talks to, that there's quite – like you sort of – some of the time you're thinking, I can't believe that you, we're hearing this. Like it feels very – um, sacred. Mm. Anyway, look, my, I, I really enjoyed the film, but I just, I'm such an old nag about this stuff, but I did kind of on, along the way just think there's hardly any women being interviewed. Like it, it was really, it was a, it's a really bloke, bloke, bloke film. And I did, I still really enjoyed it, but I also just thought, God, I'd be so interested in hearing from a few of the women about whether it means different things to women than it means from what it means to um, men in that culture. And um, also, like, he just interviews a lot of rock stars where I'm just thinking, are you really – do I really need to hear what you think about this? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, a part of the film you just think, hey, you're just having a great time travelling Australia and sinking piss with your mates, <laughs> aren't you? Anyway, but it just made, it made me think of this really great book from a few years ago by Claire Wright. I mean, it was um, oh, I remember The Forgotten you. Yeah. Um, Rebels, Rebels of Eureka. Eureka. And – the way that she went back and visited that historic event, the Eureka Stockade, which we were all taught at school and, you know, sort of quite dusty, she just went back and re-recorded that history but putting all the women back into the picture. And yeah. the way that she made that 
historical event come alive by including these like quite significant women who hadn't really been properly recorded as part of that story was just so it's such a great book like and such it's a great a, idea it's too. a big thick book and you look at it and you go oh a big thick history book but it's like it reads like a novel it's such an exciting book and the simplicity of the device that she uses is just really striking and now I quite often like I'll read history and I'll think god I really want Claire Wright to have a go at this and I, I felt a bit that way about that film too right yeah. um and you told me as well the other week you went to see the go-betweens film <gasps> Yes, I did. Yeah. Okay, so this is like it's probably the most difficult um it's it's still um it's the most difficult band to make a movie about because of course the go-betweens kind of split up in terrible enmity, you know. Right. Um they were kind of a like a great Australian band that were never quite, you know, in the top ten, you know, like they never had like incredible commercial success, and then the lead singer Grant McClellan died um, tragically young, and that that was the end of them. So, um, but they all split up because they were all dating each other. And <laughs> this film is like a biography of the band. So, if you're a serious Go Betweens fan, it's absolutely required viewing. Um, did they all participate? Well, yeah, the surviving ones all did, but it's oh my gosh so awkward like they just really hate each other so Robert Forster um who was the other like principal starting band member um uh had a long relationship um with the drummer um Lindy Edwards and um that broke up in like substantial ill feeling um and that kind of precipitated I think the end of the band but um Chris Stenders who's the filmmaker has obviously a, a big go-betweens fan who's made this as a labor of love um and the, the way the style of it is really interesting so they have interviewed all of the people that moved in and out of the band over the years and the way that he's shot it is he's got this big Queenslander it's mm. a house that belongs to his sister and he's shot the film in there oh, and the way that so it's a big, beautiful, sort of empty-looking house in the middle of this fabulous landscape that's really evocative of the go-betweens music, actually. And the interviews, he portrays the people coming into and leaving the band by having them approach the house by this bush track. So they sort of turn up and sit on a stool and talk for a oh, bit about great. their time in the band and then they wander off again. Like, it's actually it's quite a beautiful cinematic device. And the... Um, and the story of this sort of – of the personal relationships in this band, it's very raw. Like, they all speak really frankly. And it's just gripping. I, I love the oh, film. Oh, that sounds awesome. I mean, I don't know very much about The Go-Betweens. Not a gigantic fan of the music, but um, that sounds fantastic. It is really – it's a really good movie. And and at the, at the um, premiere at the Sydney Film Festival, all of the surviving members were in the room – in the audience and the director stood up and did a little talk and he just said listen you know you guys I know are not comfortable being around each other like oh. they all filmed their their, their stuff separately. separately and particularly Lindy and Robert who just have not spoken again oh, you know? God. and um and they were all in the audience and he said look anyone from the band who feels like coming up and like having a chat come on up did and anyone so, well the women all came up and some of the um past band members but Robert Forster who was in the audience I know because he was sitting like a little bit in front of me just got up like listened to the Q&A didn't say anything got up and left <gasps> wow it's so tense it's fascinating um I mean we're nearly out of time um but 
the idea I find the dynamic of relationships in bands particularly when they are romantic really interesting because I remember reading Keith Richards memoir which I really liked about the Rolling Stones and it was clear that he and Mick Jagger had a gigantic amount of tension in their relationship and they were not really friends outside of the band and I was thinking Mate, it's no wonder. It would be like if you hooked up with your high school boyfriend and then you were still expected to be with them 60 years later yeah. and no one would ever allow you to break up yeah. because the sort of sum of the parts is so much greater than the, you know, individual parts. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just found that so interesting. But then bands like, say, Fleetwood Mac where, again, you know, it's a gigantic band but you've had these – and in, in, in any normal situation you would have had this intense relationship and then gone your separate ways, which they, I guess they did do, but then invariably the lure of the band pu- pulls them back or they feel compelled to do something or no doubt with Gwen Stefani, she was going out with one of the guys in it for a long time. I mean, it's not surprising that people hook up in that environment because yeah. it's very intense and you're travelling together. you can together. never, ever move on. Um, do you know what? <sighs> I realise I just had a brain snap. Did I call Lindy Morris and Lindy Edwards a minute ago? Not sure. Yeah. If I did, um, apologies. It's Lindy Morrison, um, the drummer from the Go Betweens. I've got a Lindy Edwards in my brain. No, um, um, but yeah, it's 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 very tense viewing. Is that what's tense. the name of the film? It's called Still Here. Okay. Now, um, in the interests of uh, professionalism, now that we've got actual microphones, <laughs> why start now? Holding a mic- <laughs> <laughs> nice cough. Oh, <laughs> look at that! Holding a microphone like this always makes me want to say. Good evening, Sydney. Have I got any vegetarians in the audience? <laughs> Anyone from Adelaide? <laughs> yes. Um, that's why you, you needed to yell out, show us your tits. <laughs> <laughs> show me yours. <laughs> um, okay, now, I wonder if you have to hit record again to stop it or actually Maybe stop. That, what about the one that says stop? Oh, no, sorry, I, I forgot know. to say, I was going to be professional. Yeah. If you like our podcast, you might like to check out our website, www.chat10looks3.com. Or follow us on Twitter. Give it a burl, see if we're on iTunes this week or whether <laughs> yeah, we're a golfing maybe podcast. We're, maybe we're not. There's also other ways you can listen other than the uh, Apple podcast app. You listen on a different thing. Po- pocket Casts oh, or pocket something. Oh, Pocket Casts. I'm yeah. a big rep for Pocket Casts. Okay. Australian designed. Won like a big international award a couple of years ago. Good. It's like four or five bucks, but it's totally worth it. It's a really nice clean feed of your podcasts they're all there they look beautiful you just hit the one that you want and it tells you where you're up to and there's none of that glitchy weird stuff that nice i'm sorry it does sometimes happen on the itunes podcast app i reckon um also uh coming up soon brenda and i have been working on uh setting up a facebook group like a little community for little chat 10 peeps so um hopefully we'll have something to report on that soon and yeah that's about it. All righty. Okay, let's see if I can stop this.